0: Hello everyone. This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adapted Physical Education, and we're happy to be bringing you another episode, exciting episode of the What's New in Adapted Physical Education podcast series. Uh, this is the last episode today on ISAPA, the International Symposium of Adapted Physical Activity, and today we have Ann Griffin who is an APE teacher consultant in Iowa. Uh, She has a caseload of about 230 PE teachers who she consults with. Uh, Very interesting person. I consider her a super ape, uh, which is, in my mind, kind of those APE teachers that are just extraordinary. They're involved in research, they're involved in Uh, administration, they're teaching, they're involved in the community, and I've met about a handful of those APE teachers, those super apes out there, and I consider Anne definitely to be one of them. Um, So today, we're going to talk about uh, ISAPA, and she's leading a practitioner day, Um, so it's like basically like research to practice uh, at ISAPA in Charlottesville, Virginia from June 14th to the 18th, and uh, she's going to talk a little bit about that and she'll also talk about what does research mean as a teacher so she's very teacher focused and I feel like I've been doing a lot of research based and higher ed stuff lately and although this is still a little bit on that research thing she's going to talk a little bit about um, that gap in research uh, for teachers as well as how teachers can use research and what research means to them Uh, she'll also talk a little bit about her background as an APE teacher how she got in the field she has a very interesting story I'm probably a very different background than many of us, Um, and then she'll also, she's going to dabble around, so we're going to kind of jump around all over the place. And one of the other things though that she's amazing, uh, knowledgeable about is uh, equipment and one of her passions, so we're going to also talk a little bit about equipment in this podcast. With that, let's get started right away, and I'll touch base with everyone at the end and talk about a little Safe America conferences and upcoming other events, so I hope you all enjoy and here we go. Anne Griffin is here today. She is our, a local APE expert in the great state of Iowa and, um, and we got connected recently because of that I think. Um, and so I think we met officially at SHAPE last year is where we, we met in person at least. But um, Anne, thank you for being on the show and uh, let's get started. I know you pretty well now. But uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your experiences, like your snapshot experiences with how you got started in the field and why, you know, where you're at now?
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I came into the field um, in sort of a unique way. My un, I went to a small liberal arts college, but I was an undergraduate business economics and French major, um, won a scholarship to get a, um, a master's degree in or an MBA, and um, while I was and while I was at, um, at college, we had a January program, a um, J-term, an exploratory term. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take something completely out of my field. And so I took a J-term course my junior year in college called Exploration of the Handicapped Child. So that tells you how long ago it was. That's before handicapped was changed. So that was like in 1974. And taking that course actually changed my life. I didn't know it then. But um, I, when I graduated, I was still on my path to get my MBA until a friend of mine, about probably a month before I was supposed to start my MBA at Indiana in international finance, um, said, you don't sound very excited about this. And I said, I'm not really. And she said, um, "She said, what, do you, what have you been doing? And I, I, said, well, I said, I find myself doing a whole lot of volunteer work with kids with disabilities. And she said, why don't you do that? And I was like, whoa, why don't I do that? Um, well one I had a Fulbright scholarship to get an MBA and my dad thought oh, oh boy here goes my daughter is going to be this biz and um, making millions and I said I'm gonna I'm gonna go get a degree in um, adapted physical education and he said honey you throw like a girl he said you have no business in physical education and I said honestly dad I said I throw like a two-year-old um, and I, I found a program uh, the University of Iowa allowed me to write my own program at a graduate level. I mean, at that time, I didn't even need a teaching license to teach adapted physical education because it was prior to 94-142. Um, but they opened um, graduate admissions and uh, I wrote my program, did as much practical work as I could. It was a combination between special education, early childhood education, physical education, therapeutic recreation, and as much practical work at hospital schools as I could get. Um, I got hooked by a guy um, named Red Marks, who was the most amazing, um, adapted physical educator I ever worked with, who made me fall in love with a kid with muscular dystrophy and, um, the rest is history. I, um, I got a master's degree in adapt in physical education with a, a specialization in adapted physical education and started the adapted PE program at Iowa City Community School District for kids with severe, profound um, multiple disabilities who at that time the district said to those teachers, convince us that these kids could even benefit from PE. And they wrote a grant and the grant hired me. And that was how I started. So I worked for Iowa City for two years as an itinerant adapted physical education teacher and then was lucky enough to land the job of my life where I've been luckily paid to play for the last 38 years as an adapted physical education itinerant teacher and consultant Where now, I get to work with 250 amazing physical educators who support about 8,000 identified kids, about 1,000 of whom have significant disabilities. So I like really complicated kids. I love teaching and learning, and I'm fascinated by brains and how neuroscience should inform teaching. Since I work with kids, all of the students I work with have neurobiological differences. So, you know, it shouldn't be surprising to us that they all learn differently. We're all as unique as our fingerprints and our brains. So sort of how I got where I am. And I'm still happily employed.
0: (laughs) So, okay. So the reason I had you on today is to talk a little bit about ISAPA. Um, We've had Dr. Block on, and then this is following Justin's interview as well about it. So I want to know a little bit from your perspective, um, you know, you're a practitioner and I think that, you know, let's start out with kind of that. Why, you know, from a practitioner standpoint, I see ISAPA, I'm going there to, do, to learn about research. That's why I'm going. Um, and I know that you're going to be putting on a practitioner day, uh, which I'm excited to kind of hear about um, that part of it. And then also I want to hear why would a, you know, why is it, why would a practitioner want to come to ISAPA? Why would a teacher want to come to ISAPA?
1: Well, the big reason is because it, once again, is in the United States. So the last time I was at ASAPA, I was there in 1991. I was newly married. I was also pregnant and I was presenting mm-hmm. and, um, and I was presenting on students with severe profound and multiple disabilities, which at that time, I was one of the few people in the country who uh, was regularly doing that. That was actually about the time Marty Block and I also met, so um, so I'm one. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to go again. I've never had enough money to go to any of the international um, symposia, which I would have loved to have experienced. So as a practitioner, one you get to interact with people from not only all over this country but all over the world, and there are very very different views of that. So as I said, I love to learn. So that was key. Um, but now it is in Charlotte is it right Charlotte? Uh, Charlottesville. Charlottesville Um, and Marty's in charge of it and he asked me to fill in for his slot which are really big shoes to fill um, and I'm very honored to be in those um, in unique programs and I'm like oh wow that absolutely suits me perfectly um, because I, I sort of am a unique program, and I got I got where I got in a very unique way. So it's it's very much full circle for me in terms of, one, I get to learn. Mm-hmm. Two, I share what I know, um, which after about 38 years, yeah. when I first presented in 91, and I did say at that time, I said, the bag of tricks of things that does not work is far greater than the bag of tricks that I brought with me today that I share. I am proud to say now, and you have seen it, I now have a warehouse of solutions that represent a very unique program. So my solutions are, are far more plentiful. but I learned by falling on my face a lot and making a lot of mistakes.
0: You know, um, and something I haven't talked about on the podcast is I recently got to go to UWL lacrosse with uh, mm-hmm. Dr. McMullen now um, and Dr. Tymosen, and uh, I got to see their APE Closet And I know you were there last year, yeah. And and it was very impressive. However, I will say that the best or the biggest, definitely the biggest and probably the best, uh, APE closet, quote unquote, closet (laughs) is Ann's warehouse of APE stuff. She has. I mean, you have a warehouse, and I mean, it actually is a warehouse. It is. I mean, it. If I because there the UWL lacrosse closet is also a. Humo- I mean, it's a giant room of APE stuff that has stuff that is three stories high almost. But you have a legitimate warehouse um, as like so. Probably if you're if we were classify that as an APE closet, I mean that's probably the best APE closet uh, ever.
1: Um, yep, it's, it's a closet and a toyland. Yeah, it's a, it's a warehouse of about a you know half a million dollars worth of. You know weird stuff that really extends almost every physical education unit and skill you can think of so
0: within this practitioner day that you're going to do um mm-hmm. are you so are you going to bring so when you say you bring a bag of tricks can you kind of highlight one or two of those or kind of at least well, give us like a, yeah, marty
1: marty said um he, he's he didn't he didn't give me a, a, a lot of um, description on what he wanted me to talk about. So I said, okay, how about if I kind of frame it up as no tech, low tech, and high tech solutions? Um, so, kind of um, unique activities and equipment for kids with significant disabilities. So, my area of expertise is no tech, low tech. Um, you know, I am not a native user of anything electronic. I typically get blue screens on things, but I have had wicked um, and very unique partnerships with people over the years. So, um, so okay. So, a, a no tech solution would be you know a kid needs an office or an area, and that's a piece of duct tape on the floor. Um, a no tech solution would be if you need the universally designed. Um, jump rope. And I've got a whole bunch of schools doing jump rope for heart right now. And if you can't jump rope, you're not getting any cardiovascular benefits. So one, uh, extend the unit. But the other thing is, um, cut the ropes in half and just offer split ropes. So everybody has it. So if you just extend the equipment, so really, if you think about it, my warehouse full of equipment is um, kind of, the equipment is like architecture in universal design. Mm -hmm. Equipped in Phys Ed is our architecture. It's what we're adjusting so that kids with varying levels of ability can access activity. Interesting. My low-tech stuff is you cut the jump rope in half and you you don't ever have to clear the rope. You can spin it forward, backward. You can be sitting down. You can be in a power chair. Um, You can do crosses if you can't cross. You can try all kinds of tricks, but you still get the rhythm. So that's like a no-tech universal design. Um, another one is just like a, a, say, a grocery sack, a brown paper grocery sack. Now, those are harder to come by these days. But, um, and just, well, so uh, if you get take out Chinese, that's where I get mine. So some of them have three spots on the bottom. Well, cut the bag down so it's about a foot high and set it up on the floor. And then all you're asking the kid to do is stand on one foot and put the other foot in the bag. And then you want them to step with the foot and kick the bag off of the foot. Well, you have now done a really cool balance activity. You haven't said to the kid or held on to the kid. You can evaluate them quickly. You have no money in the past um, and a, a no tech way to elicit a skill. So those are, like that's like no tech sorts of things. Very cool. Um, low tech would just be. Let me, let me think of what would be a good low-tech thing. I'm, well, let me look at the high-tech now. Yeah. Okay, another um, no-tech, low-tech. This would be, maybe be low-tech. So for my low-tech stuff, so the no-tech is stuff that I can do real easily. Low-tech I'm pretty good with too. and I'm pretty good with PVC cutters. So low-tech might be um, PVC um, and you cut it and you stick elbows on the ends of it and then you stick those elbows into cones. And now you have, and if you hang tinsel on that or streamers or put the cones up on chairs, now you have something the kids can go under. It can be a car wash for scooters or wheelchairs or whatever. So that's pretty low-tech. Making out of PVC and kind of making more durable ladder golf. Um, And we do ladder golf with PVC um, so that you, you can take apart the vertical and the horizontal so you can store them flat. And then we also don't use golf balls, of course, because you need to think about what can these kids do with these balls. To me, um, so we use tennis balls. So one we giant sized the balls, but tennis balls that they bounce and also they're readily available and free. So that would be kind of um, low tech or a knockoff um, kind of equipment thing or um, catching hoops. So I had a I class, and most of these things I came up with because I had a need. I like I either didn't have any equipment or I had a very unique setting or I had a very unique kid, or we just got a brainstorm one day. And it's like, Oh my God, this would work for other people. So this was a Friday afternoon and I had offsite kids with behavior disabilities and no gym. We were supposed to be outside in the field. I had a huge range of ability, a huge range of behaviors and a lot of runners, a lot of energy. And I was just sitting in my office looking around. And this was when I had a cubicle. This was before I had a warehouse. So most of the stuff used to be in cubicles. We were really violating fire code then. Um, but I had a five-gallon bucket that had about five fishing dip nets in it. And they were they were new. I hadn't used them for fishing yet. And there was another five-gallon bucket with tennis balls. And I'm like, oh. And then I had, um, so this is a low-tech solution, a funnel. So that, like that you change oil with, the big funnels from Menards or, you know, an automotive store. Um, a drill press, so we put two holes on each side of the funnel, and then surgical tubing through each to make uh, handles. Essentially what we were making was big water balloon launchers, but we made them out of funnels, um, surgical tubing or exercise tubing, and a couple of sprinkler hose um, handles out of um, the sprinkling department at your local home goods store. And, um, And then we had cooperative shooters, so it took three people to shoot these things, and then kids needed to work together so we had those shooters and I'm like okay we'll shoot tennis balls well the kids couldn't catch and there's an, there an issue if you're working with kids with behavior disabilities and they don't have the skill and other kids have the skill oh boy then you have big problems on your hands and lots of behaviors to control later so I thought okay let's catch with fishing dip nets and it was it was a just a total fluke but it was a total winner it, it was great fun Except, at the end of class, transitions are always difficult. Um, the, the poles on the fishing dip nets, some of them were like about three foot long, you know, for like really dipping into the lake to get fish. Um, oh boy, they could jack each other or me with the, with the handles. And I'm like, geez, I could really use one with no handle. And so the first one I cut off, and then it's like, oh, geez, I could just get replacement fishing dip nets, stick them on three-quarter inch PVC, And this is where my second set of elves come in. My no tech, low tech helpers, community corrections volunteered to make things like that for me. So they make tag sticks, they made hula hoops, they made catching nets out of fishing dip nets and PVC. But most of them were also drug addicts. So we weren't allowed to have PVC glue um, to put the hoops together, but um, The clients came up with an alternative solution that we're using to this day, which is really brilliant. We just heat the PVC after we've cut it and formed it into whatever size circle we want, anything from an 18 inch basketball hoop rim to a big huge cooperative catcher that the two or three people can use to run around the field to catch um, flying objects. We heat the ends with um, a hair blower, stick in a three quarter inch connector and once it cools down, presto changeo, they're in there for good. So I don't, um, I, but I, that would be a low tech solution.
0: Yeah, definitely. The PVC stuff I think is great. And something I think, if you're going to bring it, I think sometimes the people haven't played with it at all. I mean, it's so simple, but I think people are intimidated by it just because it's in a. No, certain section of Home Depot that maybe people haven't been to before, and it looks a little, and like, I mean. It's the
1: irrigation area, so I'm pretty good with that. Maybe I'll have to pack my PVC cutters.
0: And I don't know if I told you, but.
1: Pretty serious tools, but if you get a really good one, you can do anything with them.
0: Well, that's, I I did, uh, I don't, this came up maybe once or twice, but I did sprinklers and irrigation for eight years
1: oh and, so, so you like, know the little heads I'm talking about uh, those were the handles on the yeah,
0: front shoe. yeah absolutely and we used to <laughs> I mean if it got bad sometimes especially like with large two- inch pipe we would get blow torches out and do exactly what you're saying <laughs> so but with blow torches so you don't want to yeah so I totally understand what you're saying
1: very um, fun very yeah fun. I
0: even I know the brand names and everything so yeah <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think, I mean, it sounds like you got a lot planned with, so it sounds like an equipment based kind of like, um, you know, the different technologies that you're going to introduce to the practitioners. Um, I want to now kind of jump to like, you know, a little bit more of like, why, why do you think it's important for teachers to to come to conferences like this? Um, And kind of like why from the research standpoint. So I think it's a heavy research, like, um conference, and I I want to, you know, I'm very interested in that stuff, but my job has to do with research um, a lot more, or at least more explicitly. What, like, Why do you think it is important for someone like yourself or a new teacher or even a student, you know, aspiring teacher to go to something like this to learn the research in our field?
1: Well, because it is foundational. Um, uh, One of my biggest frustrations, and, and I've been in Iowa now for a, a long time um and one of my biggest frustration I, I was talking to my boss just the other day saying i'm i'm hoping it's not a a lack of leadership but just a lack of information about how important motor development is to neuro development and all development and i need the research to prove that i have been very fortunate that I have worked for an intermediate agency, Uh, probably about 75% of our focus is on special education. And I've been the recipient of some fabulous professional development over the years. So I have always been exposed to special education research. I always had to take it apart and say, what does this have to do with me in physical education? So I was always... a You know, so it could be disability specific. It could be a particular curricular thing. It could be a social skill strategy. I'm never focused on my area, on motor development, on physical education, on instruction in physical education, or adapted physical education. So to see research now that is done with a focus on meeting kids' needs, students' needs, teachers' needs, about what works and why it works. I mean, everybody's saying we have the data. I'm like, we'll use it we have had the neuroscience for years and i have i am sad to say i have few districts um, that are using that to actually do i'm looking at our agency goals right now goal number one of my agency increase the academic performance of all students um, and increase the percentage of students who perform at the proficient level well guess what all the kids um, with disabilities are not performing at the proficient level um, and we can increase the academic performance of all of the kids and, and their mental health as well if we increased um, the amount of time that they spend in physical activity, in physical education, and if we did a better job of targeting what we're teaching. So um, I am all about research. Like As I said, I have a passion for learning. I, I love puzzles. I think the most amazing puzzle in the world is that we're using our own brains to figure out how our own brains work. And so anybody that's helping me figure that out any way they can is great. I have been a firm believer. I don't know why. Um, when, I, when I worked with those kids in Iowa City, it was like, how do I know this stuff? I don't know why I knew that stuff or, or how I got good, of, good at it. But I do know right down to my bone that, I mean, when you think of it, Our motor system is indicative of the health of our neurobiological system. And I mean, as early as birth, that's what our ACTAR scores are based on, you know? So it's, um, the researchers to me, one have been divorced from what I'm dealing with a lot, um, but I also, I need the proof. I need the research summaries. I'm the last issue of cholesterol. There were two or three articles in there. I'm like, oh my God, these are perfect to say, okay. These speak to, for instance, one on um, preschool development, early learning and early readiness. All of those are motor skills that kids are not getting anymore. Most of my preschoolers get no physical education. Um, kids with identified preschool, they're like, nope, they just get what the regular preschoolers get. And all of their learning readiness skills are motor-based, perceptual motor learning, visual learning. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, this is what they're missing. And we've taken it out of schools. to to think that, really, if we add more time to literacy and math, i will get better at that. In fact, we're doing just the opposite of what the research is indicating that we do. So one, I I love the research. And two, I'd like them to be louder. My third issue is, many times, the researchers are very divorced from what I'm doing in school. It's like, answer some questions for me. It's like, why don't you come talk to me and ask me about what I've observed about very weird kids or very difficult kids or very complex kids or kids that respond differently to situations um, and answer questions that directly affect real world settings. Um, but I, I love it, bring, bring me any perspective from anywhere. I, I, uh, the, the big thing I know is that I, ha- I have learned lots and I have plenty to learn and that's what's so much fun.
0: I want to maybe on that last point like or a little bit like so you're saying like you know sometimes we're we're divorced a little bit from the practitioners and such and like what can we yeah i think that's that's probably a real i mean i
1: had a conversation okay so here's one i had a conversation this was a a professor of higher ed and we were talking about adapted phys ed and this was when we first met and i said okay so what do your your um, undergrads in adapted phys ed. I said, "What phys ed curriculum are you adapting? What are, What are they learning?" And she was like confused and stunned. And I'm like, "It's adapted physical education. You have to start with a great physical education curriculum. That's where that's all. That's where you start. So you know to that that surprised me." And, and I think it surprised her and caused her to think differently about how they're educating. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I, I come from a state that we haven't had a professor in higher ed, um, in adapted phys ed in a long time until you got here. So I mean, I think maybe in Iowa State, but, you know, not as significant. We, we used to have good schools of education at our, our um, regents universities. And, um, now you and I is. Yeah. A,
0: a, a, a it seems like we're the only one, one, you
1: know, we're the only
0: one doing physical education at a large, I mean, the I think they said they right. have about 240 students, undergrads that are all PE, which right. has to make us a pretty large program, um, exactly. especially in the area. So, but right. at the same time, my students, and I've talked to you about this, are even though I am seen, you know, as a expert in the area of adaptive physical education, I have a podcast that people listen to, and um, all these things. But I, you know, my students only get one class of APE, and I, I work so hard to try to make that class six, you know, um, meaningful to them. But at the same time, they're getting one class, um, you know, and what can you know? I mean,
1: it's a it is a it's a ridiculous expectation. Yeah. Um, in iowa if you are licensed to teach phys ed the department of ed says you are licensed to provide specially designed instruction to any kid that comes to the doors of the public schools and in iowa that is everybody and it's one three-hour class in adapted physical education i was a teacher of that class i know how important that is um i also know how much i wasn't taught in a master's degree in adapted physical education so when when you take the most complicated kids in the school and you just say well we're we're going to push into first grade or we're going to have a unified program um, with all of our special ed students Um, and you assign one person even if it's the best phys ed teacher with the best phys ed background that is a whole lot of weight and responsibility on that person you know and that honestly if administrators really looked at it that is a liability in my head um
0: no they, they, we're putting they out people that aren't trained
1: them. yes um and, and i
0: i mean i, oh, I they, i'll repeat I'll,
1: and they I, are they uh, honestly so here's the other side of that so they don't have much training they yeah. don't know they've been opted out of the system for a very long time and, and you have to wonder is it, systemat- is it systemic or systematic but by the same token they have come up with the most amazing solutions for kids and for schools and, um, and developed, you know, saying, okay, we don't have any of this, but we have this. So how do we make it work? Mm-hmm. And so the ingenuity and innovativeness of our physical educators who get very little help and support. And, and now, I mean, like we are the only AEA left in the state that is providing even adapted physical education consultation. That's problematic, you know. Every one of my PE teachers would love to have an expert to help them with very difficult kids.
0: Definitely, definitely. No, I mean, I remember, uh, I remember that almost like people begging for that when I was teaching. Sometimes, yes. our, sometimes our our APE teachers, I had a, you know the teacher right. um, of kids with autism. I mean, they were took so long sometimes to get those consultations to come in too. But well, so so. As a one last question about this whole like research thing, because I think I think it's interesting to kind of you know pick your brain because you've been you know I mean you've definitely dabbled in research yourself and uh, you know a lot. Yeah, just I wish I
1: could do more because no time, you know, (laughs) absolutely
0: no time. For me, as a um, researcher, do you have any strategies or anything for me to be a better? like researcher that's kind of looking at like what I can do, like kind of to help the field versus just like, cause like, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, and I'm a new APE uh, professor and all that. So probably as time goes on, I'm going to get more and more in my quote unquote ivory tower. Um, right? But like, so how do I, Hopefully mm, not. no, I know, but like, oh, how Santa. do I, how do I step out though? You know, like, how do I, and have people done that at all with you? Have people ever contacted you and picked your brain? about stuff like um, that?
1: Not, not so much, but like I said, yeah. we don't have any people, or we didn't have any people here in Iowa. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my degree um, came because Maggie Fox, who was the head of the department right then, had a special interest in adaptive physical education and hadn't had a grad student forever. But um, we haven't had anybody around to even look at, you know, what people are doing, what people have, have put in, or, or to pick brains, because we do have a really unique situation. You know, it, it, it looks like it's really bad, but really there's a lot of really good stuff here too.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when I went to your system, like your system that you've set up and just to describe it a little bit more to people is basically you've started, you've created a UPS system where you're shipping out <laughs> equipment to cause you're in a, a very rural area overall, even though you're in Cedar Rapids, which is a bigger city you're shipping out equipment with you know instructions on how to use that to a variety of teachers and even though they don't have always direct consultation with you because you have so many people they're getting specialized equipment and specialized instructions on you know probably a weekly basis from you right and they so, can they can
1: avail themselves of, of it yes and,
0: and even though you know i mean i think you would also concur that's probably not maybe best practice because if you're wanted like as far as like direct teaching, you're not isn't like you're not um, meeting all the kids' needs through that, but you've kind of put it made it a solution to kind of um, you know, with the resources that you have, how do you make yourself the most um, how do you you know like how do you make yourself the most I get the
1: biggest bang for the buck. Exactly. Really yeah. yeah. I had so many toys, it's like how do you organize that? So yeah it it is a very unique and i use the um a lot of the wonderful things of an aea so all of the aeas deliver and support we support instruction in media technology um educational services so all curricular areas and special education this is done all over the state and we all have van delivery service so we deliver to every one of our 32 school districts twice a week so things in my warehouse can go twice a week and then it stays for three weeks with a physical educator to extend, um, the unit to them. So yeah, it, um, it did, it, we moved it this year. So that was a big progress, um, process, but we're pretty pleased with the outcome. It, it is reaching more people and, um, it, it's helpful. Yeah. So sort of tried to universally design physical education with equipment, Yeah. Uh, assuming that schools pretty much have enough equipment to teach the curriculum. So if you're thinking MTSS or multi-tiered system of support level one, I'm expecting them to have, I have level two, level three. So I have the no tech, low tech, high tech, you know, access sorts of um, adaptive equipment that then they can check out. And if you're a small district and you have one kid, um, You're not going to buy a switch-activated bowling ramp that costs $500 for one unit. Then you either make it or check it out from me and borrow it.
0: That's actually an area of research that I'm not doing and not really planning on doing, but something I'd be really interested in seeing is rural versus urban, suburban stuff in APE Um, because I don't think we've kind of tackled that because, like you just said, uh, if you're, you know, you're not going to probably get um, the, the game showdown for one kid with a visual impairment in, right. uh, in a, right. you know, rural area, but maybe you would do it right. in a big city. And then what, you know, like, what are the things that you should be doing when right. those, when you have very limited resources as a district versus right. if you don't. So
1: right.
0: that's, that's to me one. an area that I've seen very little in our area, but then like in special ed, there's a whole journal called the special education and I think a rural special educator. And it's all, mm-hmm. all just like you know, like what do you do in these limited areas? So
1: right, well, and that was precisely why the AEA system was developed in Iowa yeah. to provide equity and excellence um, and um, professional expertise to across all of the areas to to equalize access to that for educators and students. And it's a, it's a very smart system. It seems like it would be the perfect system to continue to um, disseminate adapted physical education services through. Absolutely.
0: Well, Ann, thank you so much for coming on and talking a little bit about yourself, the great things you're doing, and ISAPA coming up I in stopped. June at Charlottesville, University of Virginia, uh, and uh, we'll see you there. I'll, I'll see you there.
1: Thank
0: you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you once again for listening in on the What's New in Adapted Physical Education podcast. Uh, it was a great episode, a great conversation with Ann Griffin and about ISAPA. I hope everyone can, considers to come out and check out the ISAPA conference. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. With that, uh, the Shape America conference is happening this week or next week, depending on when I get this out, because right now it's Friday, and I probably won't get it out until early Monday. So Shape America is will be happening in Tampa, Florida this week. I'm not going to be there, sadly. I had to go to some other conferences this year. Definitely going to go next year in Salt Lake City. But I hope some of you all are there. I hope you're enjoying. I hope you're getting a lot of different resources and putting those practices in your classes. Um, There's a lot of awesome things when you go to those conferences. Uh, With that, we'll have some other podcasts coming up. We have a podcast where we're going to debate the differences between PE and APE soon. I have another one where we're going to talk about social justice in our field, and another one about PhD programs in APE, Uh, and all three of those are on the docket, so I have some really exciting ones coming up, and I hope you all enjoy. Have a great Shape America conference, have a great week, and maybe spring break's coming up.
1: Take care.